Thank you. And as you have a seat, uh, go ahead and open your Bibles or Bible apps to the book of Revelation chapter 6 as we continue this 2020 series where we have been looking for the gospel from one cover to the next. Uh, So what we see as we turn to uh, chapter 6 is that everything that has happened thus far is, is leading up to, everything that's happened in the first five chapters is leading up to this. So consider where we've been so far. We have been introduced extensively to Jesus in chapter 1. We have tested ourselves against the letters to the churches in chapters 2 and 3. We've been able to see the scene of heaven and the worship service that is taking place there around the throne in chapters 4 and 5. We've seen that only Jesus is worthy just last week to take the scroll, which is likely the title deed to the entire universe, God's plan to execute judgment on all that have rejected him. This is all we've seen so far. And in chapter 6, a shift takes place, the very first blanks on your outline, uh, from worship to wrath. From worship to wrath. And so if, if chapters 1 through 5 give our simple minds just a glimpse of God's holiness, then chapters 6 through 19 give us a glimpse of our sinfulness. In the chapters that will follow, we will see three sets of seven divine judgments. According to Daniel 9.27, the timeline for this judgment is seven years. Remember, seven is the number of completion. So this impending judgment will be thorough and complete. It's been described as a time of tribulation, retribution, response, and redemption. And in these first eight verses of chapter 6, God records the opening of four of seven seals on this scroll. And so you can write that down. Four of seven seals are open. And each one is represented by a rider on a horse. A rider on a horse. Now if we think about it uh, throughout Scripture, uh, horses are often used to symbolize God's activity on the earth. These horses are similar to the horses found in Zechariah 1, where God speaks comfort over His city Jerusalem. Where he promised to one day bring peace. And here in Revelation he is setting things in motion to fulfill that promise. Each one is is a color. And each color symbolizes something significant. But church, something that we need to remember before we dive into here today. Is that all of the events that follow only take place. Because God allows them to happen. Because God is orchestrating them. And so there is is no question who is in control of all of this. As chaotic as revelation can be, God is always in control. And so uh, that brings us to number one on your outline. We start with a white horse. Um, we, we started uh, standing for the, out of respect for the Word of God last week. We're going to try to remember to do that from now on. If you would, please, we're just going to read the, the first two, cha- two verses, excuse me, Revelation 6. <clears throat> the first seal. Now I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures. Okay, so remember, these are the four, these are the living creatures that are around the throne speaking here. And he says with a loud voice like thunder, 
come and see. And if we look at that, uh, we, we can see that that phrase is better translated, go. So this, this living creature, just so we're on the same page, is talking to this horseman, and he says, go. Verse 2, I looked, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. Thank you. You can have a seat. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. So if we are at all familiar with the book of Revelation, we might think that this rider on this white horse is Jesus. Uh, later in chapter 19, Jesus rides in uh, to victory. He, he rides a white horse into victory. Uh, we know him as the ruler over kings. I mean, that sounds like a conqueror. However, I don't think that this rider on this white horse is Jesus for a few reasons. When we think of a, of a conqueror, we probably think of someone who will come in and defeat our enemies and bring peace, right? Well, that's what this rider on the white horse represents, peace. But this is a false peace because the verses that follow are anything but peace. And, and when we parallel what we read here with what Jesus taught in Matthew 24, where his disciples asked him what they could expect when the world was coming to an end, while no one can know, he did give us some clues. So uh, keep, your, keep a bookmark right there in Revelation 6 and turn over to Matthew 24 and, and take note of what Jesus says and, and the order of them. They will be on the screen, Matthew 24, 4-7. through 7. Jesus said, take heed that no one deceives you. Verse 5, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. So, just so we're on the same page again. So, the first thing that Jesus tells us to be watchful for at the end of time is false Christs or antichrists. Uh, Verse 6 says, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. So, that's the second thing, war. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines. Take note of that. Famines, the third thing. And pestilence, or widespread death. And earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. So so notice the order there. Antichrist will come, war, famine, and pestilence or widespread death. Now, if you're still in Revelation 6 there, scroll ahead and and look. Notice the headings for these first four seals. Um, They're they're the same. The conqueror here in verses 1 and 2 is likely Antichrist. The second seal in verse 3 is war, which was the second thing that Jesus mentioned. The third thing in verse 5 is scarcity or famine. The fourth in verse 7 is widespread death. They're the same things that Jesus taught in Matthew 24. Now, we see that this rider on this white horse in verse 2, he wears a crown. And if we look up the the definition for that original word, it is the victor's crown. But in Revelation 19.12, Jesus wears a kingly, the kingly crown. See, Jesus is more than just a victor. He is the king. The writer in verse 2 holds a bow. Jesus wields a sword in in Revelation 19. And not only that, Jesus is the one, the only one who could open the seal. And so it would make better sense 
if he didn't come out of the seal that he just opened. And so for these reasons, many conservative scholars agree this is the Antichrist on this white horse in verses 1 and 2. He resembles Christ in some ways. He claims to bring peace. And that's where the deception comes. We will see later that he will rebuild the temple for the Jews. And then he will proceed to set himself up as God there. He will offer peace, but he will come to destroy. He is a conqueror with great power that will deceive many people into following him. But church, again, we can trust the only power that he has is the power that God has allowed him to have. And in this case, God, the one true God, the supreme and omnipotent, is using his enemies to bring judgment upon his enemies. And church, that is something that only God can do. So with the opening of the first seal, the Antichrist comes. This leads to number two, a red horse. A red horse. Verses three and four. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, come and see. Again, better translated, go. Another horse, fiery red, went out. And it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth. And the people should kill one another. And there was given to him a great sword. Now, uh, this may be the greatest argument why the rider on the white horse is the Antichrist. Because Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And when he returns, he will bring true peace that no one will be able to take away. The second rider takes all peace from the earth. It was a false peace to begin with. That's why it's been able to be taken away. Uh, Notice uh, this horse was red, a symbol of blood. Uh, The word for sword here describes a large knife or a a small sword used for close hand-to-hand combat. And so this seal opens up widespread violence on the earth. The rider brings conflict. The next blank on your outline. This rider brings conflict. Uh, It leads to number three, a black horse. Verses five and six. When he opened the third seal, when Jesus opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, come and see. And so I looked, a black horse, and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard the voice uh, in the midst of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius. Do not harm the oil and the wine. So uh, black is sometimes connected with famine in the word. Um, It it appears the widespread violence has diminished the food supply. So it'll make better sense if you know that a denarius is a day's wage. A day's wage. Now current minimum wage is $10.30. And so if you work an an eight-hour day, you bring in roughly $82.40. Now a quart of wheat talked about here in these verses is the daily needs of one person. Now, I don't think any of us are spending $82.40 on our daily meals. But this is the result of this God-sent scarcity. A person will have to work all day just to eat. And this is all leading up to chapter 13 and the mark of the beast. When people are hungry and impoverished, they will do anything to survive. Now, I will say this, I I don't think we're there yet, but 2020, 2021 have certainly proved how fast something like this 
could spread across the world. I mean, you think just a, a few years ago, the thought of a worldwide shutdown or scarcity, I mean, we, we didn't even think of it. But now we're thinking, okay, yeah, we, we've been there. We, we know what that's like. And so more and more we see uh, the truth of the word just moving forward. Uh, the writer will bring scarcity upon the earth. The next blank on your outline there. And that leads to number four, a pale horse. A pale horse. Now verses 7 and 8. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come and see. And so I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And the name of him who sat on it was Death, and Hades followed with him. So if, if we think about uh, death as something that claims the body, Hades claims the soul. Hades is where lost, dead souls are. And, and just so that we are reminded, who holds the keys to death and Hades back in chapter 1? Do you remember? It's Jesus. Again, there is absolutely no question who is in charge here. Okay, uh, and Power was given to death and Hades over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beasts of the earth. So this is the scene of divine judgment. We have this world leader, the Antichrist, using an empty and deceitful promise of peace that he is not able to deliver. We have war and scarcity and widespread death. And this is only first four of these three sevenfold judgments. There is much more to come. Now, Before we continue with the text here, let's take a a planned detour and and talk about the rapture. I I think that's the next blank on your outline. Uh, The the concept of the rapture. While the word is not found in Scripture, the concept is. Look at 1 Thessalonians 4.17. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up. Now the Greek word for caught up there is rapturo, where we get the word rapture. We will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. 1 Corinthians 15.52 In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. So, the rapture and one's views on how to interpret Revelation have often been an area of contention. Uh, Churches... And associations have split over how they viewed Revelation. And let me just go ahead and say this. Before we get into all the Revelation and all this stuff that might be controversial, um, we are not here to argue about it. Uh, We're not here to fight about it. We're here to lift up the name of Jesus and to spread His light in the community that we live in and beyond. We are all the same on the same team. And Satan would love nothing more than for us to just fight about uh, and, and be divided about something in the future that we really um, cannot know for sure how it's going to end. Because if we're focused on that, then the name of Jesus and those who desperately need it are out of focus and the good news doesn't get spread. Um, Remember, if if anyone ever tells you that they have the book of Revelation all figured out, then run away from them. Because we can't. We can get a decent understanding, uh, but some of this stuff we will not be able to completely understand on this side of life. And so it has to be taken with faith. 
and, and trust that the Lord knows the desires of our hearts to be in line with His. The next blank is eschatology. Um, it's, all, it, it's the study of end times. Go ahead and say that word with me. Eschatology. So eschat, uh, the study of end times. Ology is, is the study of. Eschat is, is end times. So uh, here's a, just a little crash course. Um, most of the time, the issue around the rapture has to do with the timing of it. And there are four main views. There is the pre-tribulation rapture. That word tribulation uh, describes this seven-year period of wrath and judgment that we started looking at here in chapter 6. So keep that in mind. Pre-tribulation rapture. Uh, This view maintains that the rapture occurs when Jesus comes to secretly gather the church prior to the seven-year great tribulation that precedes the return of Christ to the earth. So Jesus comes to get us, and then all of this judgment is poured out, and then Jesus returns for good. The second view is the mid-tribulation rapture. This is similar to pre-tribulation view, except it locates the rapture in the middle, uh, within the first three and a half years of of the seven-year judgment. At that point, when the Antichrist assumes power. There's also the pre-wrath rapture view. This position argues that the rapture will occur toward the end of the tribulation, um, before the outpouring of God's wrath with the bold judgments in Revelation 16, prior to the return of Christ. And then there's the post-tribulation view. Uh, the view that sees the rapture as occurring simultaneously in the return, with the return of Christ at the end of the tri- tribulation. Now, historically, uh, First Baptist has been pre-tribulation, has taken that view. And, and we won't be here for any of this judgment. And to that I say, I, I hope that that is right. However, depending on the lens that you look at it through, um, there's good cases that there's a good case that mid-trib could be possible. Uh, again, um, we got to pick something. You know, bottom line, we have to pick a view. Uh, we should study the word. We should bathe it in prayer. But at the end of the day, or at the end of time, we may discover that none of us had it completely, one hundred percent. But if we have Jesus, that is what matters. Uh, So, back to Revelation 6. Um, In verse 9, John records two responses to all of this judgment from the first four seals. Number five on your outline. A response first from heaven. Look at verse 9. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which, which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of the fellow servants and their brethren, who was, who was be killed as they were, was completed. So notice in verse 9 there the word altar. It reminds us of the temple in the Old Testament. And what was done on the altar in the temple? Uh, Sacrifices were made. Leviticus tells us that the blood of these sacrifices spilled out on the base of the altar. It was all by God's design. It was all by God's command. It was all for God's glory. 
There was purpose behind each sacrifice. There was intention behind each sacrifice. Uh, No one ever sacrificed an animal and said, oh, I I didn't mean to sacrifice that one. The requirements were specific. Uh, There was purpose with each one. And so the souls of the martyred saints being under the altar there in verse 9 indicate that their lives were given sacrificially by God's design for God's glory. It's just another reminder that God is on his throne and is in control of everything that is happening here uh, in heaven even to the end of time. There is no question about it. Verse 11 indicates that more martyrs would come. Now, we looked at, at Matthew 24 earlier, and we paralleled Jesus' teachings with the first four seals. In verse 8, in Matthew 24, all these are the beginning of sorrows, he said. And verse 9 says, they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. So again, it's, it's still in line with Jesus' teaching. Uh, martyrdom will be common during this period of the Jews Uh, During this time, Zechariah wrote in chapter 13, verse 8, It shall come to pass in the land, in all the land, says the Lord, that two-thirds in it shall be cut off and die. But notice the hope in verse 9. But one-third shall be left in it, and I will bring the one-third through the fire, will refine them as silver is refined, and test them as gold is tested. They will call on my name, and I will answer them. I will say, this is my people, and each one will say, the Lord is my God. And so the response from heaven is the martyrs in Revelation 6, they call for vengeance. How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And his reply is simply, it's just not time yet. We're told that they were given a white robe, a symbol of purity, and they were told to wait on God's timing. How long, Lord? That's the response from heaven. Now we see... uh, in, in six, the response, in number six, and the response from those on earth. Now these are the ones who did not put their faith in Jesus. Verse uh, 12, chapter six. I looked when he opened the sixth seal and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair and the moon became like blood. The stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig drops its late figs when it's shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. The kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? So we see the martyrs call for vengeance, the lost call to be hidden. The lost call to be hidden. The opening of this seventh seal will produce worldwide catastrophe like we have never seen. This is the first of three great earthquakes. All of nature, sun, moon, stars, mountains, islands will be affected. Hide us from the presence of God. Hide us from the wrath of the Lamb. I don't think any of us have ever tried to hide from a lamb, but this lamb is different. This lamb is Jesus. This lamb has wrath. See, the the Jesus we remember from the Gospels is, is meek and mild, and now he shows his holiness and 
justice. He proves this quote from Warren Wearsby. If we will not yield to the love of God and allow ourselves to be changed by the grace of God, we cannot escape the wrath of God. If we will not yield to the love of God and allow ourselves to be changed by the grace of God, we cannot escape the wrath of God. Kings, rich, commanders, mighty men, slaves, and free. It doesn't matter. No rank on earth will save anyone from the wrath of God. Just like Adam and Eve in the garden, they tried to hide from God. They wouldn't humble themselves before Him. They wouldn't worship Him. They would rather hide. Does that describe any of us today? The word impenitent comes to mind. Not willing to submit to Jesus as Lord of your life. If that is us, then all of this judgment is for us. But while we still have breath in our lungs, Jesus waits. For when his Father on his throne says, it's time. And you still have time to accept his free gift. Jesus is willing to take the wrath and judgment that you deserve upon himself. We deserve it because of our sins. Jesus didn't, but he's willing to take it and pay the price so that you can have eternal life. As we go into a time of invitation, would you just bow your heads and and close your eyes? The first question for you, do you know him? We're getting into the part of Revelation that can be terrifying if we don't know what our future holds. But 1 John, it says, these things have been written so that you may know that you have eternal life. So do you know that you have eternal life? I've shared with you my story before. As a, as a really young boy, I thought, well, if I just walk the aisle and I talk to a pastor and I, I say some words of a prayer and then I get dipped in some water, that's how you get to heaven. And it wasn't until later that I realized that's just all religion. It's all a condition of the heart is what matters. And I'm so thankful that, that God helped me to realize that. It's what we do with Jesus It's not all these actions. Jesus affects our actions, but our actions don't affect our stance with God. Where do you stand with God? Maybe maybe this morning you just need to hear in all the chaos, in all the things that seem out of control, God is still on his throne. And things only happen if he allows them to happen. He has not left you. He has not forsaken you. What has God said to you through his word today? And what are you going to do about it?